The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 147 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders. I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Great to be with you again. Yeah, we are continuing today on our sort of theme that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is all about recurring income, uh, creating a business. Uh, and then obviously your recent presentation um, at the BizX event was around this topic as well, Kevin. Yeah, it sounds like you're live in London somewhere. I can hear a, a root <laughs> toot toot. Somebody applauding your message. Actually, Chris, is somebody applauding your message out there? I think it's time for us, when we get a moment, to ask people to tell us how we're doing because uh, it's been a while since we've reached out into the listenership and said, like, are we on the right track? Are you enjoying what we're doing? Uh, maybe it's worthwhile just um, asking that question. So instead of reading a review, suspend a review you normally have, Chris, today, and let's let's just ask for a favor. So let me do that now. Uh, Chris and I work our little cotton socks off every week to try and bring you something interesting, an interesting guest, some education, something that will inspire or help you and take some actionable steps to help you build your wealth. Could you let us know we're on the right track, like one minute of your time? Could you give us 30 seconds of your time just to like what we're doing, subscribe to what we're doing, post a tiny review just to say, keep it up, guys, loving the podcast, just something as light as that, just so we know we're getting some feedback from an audience. So I have to say, Chris, it was fantastic to get live feedback from an audience at BizX. You know, you get the feeling of that interaction with people instead of just talking to a screen. And I would just like our audience, if they're willing to do that, to give us 30 seconds of their time for the 150 or so episodes we've given them. Does that sound fair enough? I'm not being too cheeky, am I? <laughs> I don't think so. Once in a while. No, we we always appreciate the feedback we get and obviously reading out our reviews every week. But uh, yeah, if you have enjoyed listening and you continue to do so, why not head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash reviews and you can either head to Google reviews or Trustpilot and just let us know how we're doing. Uh, and if you've got some feedback, if you want to actually, you know, give us some uh, suggestions and ideas or ask a question, then drop us a, an email at hello at wealthbuilders.co.uk. Or even somebody make a great guest because we love people who have demonstrated some success in building recurring income. And, and this today we've got Ant Lyons, haven't we, who's demonstrated that success in so many ways, Chris, in property and business and IP and JVs. Lots of lessons for you to listen to the interview and uh, see if you can spot those things for yourself. But as usual, we'll do our usual Wealth Builder debrief to pull out one or two of the additional points that we think our guest makes today. Absolutely. Yes. So Antlines, uh, familiar uh, probably to, to some people who are in the property world, certainly in the UK at the networking events. Uh, Ant is the uh, owner of the 
Your Property Network magazine, YPN. And uh, Ant's going to share with us not only how he's generated a recurring income from the magazine, but also three other ways as well and uh, some capital uh, mixed up in there for good measure. So uh, let's hear from Ant now and then Kev will be back with the debrief afterwards. And welcome to Wealth Talk today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really, really good to have you on with us. And uh, and today we're talking about how you can create a recurring income business. And and you've certainly worked on this um, to give yourself a lifestyle that you know I know you enjoy and that is important to you. Um, the freedom that everybody wants, right? And yeah, I'm sure you'll touch on some of those points as well. Um, so I think a good place to start is uh, just a very brief introduction on uh, who you are and what you do. Okay, so some of your listeners may read our magazine, which is your Property Network magazine, which um, I set up with my amazing business partner, Mike, in 2008. So we are 14 years into doing that, which um, you know I, I can barely remember life before it. Um, in addition to that, um, I'm a, uh, a landlord, an investor landlord myself. So I have a portfolio of properties, of rental properties, HMOs and single lets. Um, and I do some property development projects as well. So to, to, to um, build and undertake the works and, and, and sell. Um, and then in addition to that, the bit that most people don't know about is I also have uh, a sort of interest in a gym business where we own three gym at the moment, three gyms and plans to expand over the next year or so. Yeah. Fantastic. So, can you take us back then, Ant, to to a point where maybe there was a catalyst for you? Maybe there was an aha moment where you kind of stopped thinking about trading time for money and you realized the power of, you know, building assets, building businesses, whatever it might be, that could actually generate income for you and create that recurring income lifestyle. Okay, so for for me, it kind of I, I was working in a business that my now business partner owned at the time. And this is sort of pre-credit crunch so sort of 2006 2007 and we were buying property in a certain format using many of your members may be aware of this the kind of same day remortgage where we could buy with bridging finance one day and remortgage the same day to sort of leave no money in and create an ongoing income stream and an equity from day one um and, and that seemed like a smart model actually you know to, to create equity to create what is a relatively passive income as a, a landlord who, who uses um, letting agents. Um, and uh, so I was just running that business, but everyone around me was, you know, doing it. They were out there buying multiple properties and some of them 20, 30, 40, 50 a year. And um, I could see how they were doing it. Had I not been in that business and I just was told, oh, these people are buying 50 properties a year, I would have imagined that they just had bucket loads of money to begin with i just didn't know how it worked so that became kind of um an obvious thing to be doing to um to uh create relatively passive income and ongoing income and income that i wasn't working for um and then and then that stopped buying pm to buy property in that format stopped you know in the credit crunch and so uh, we we had to reinvent that business stopped and so I had to reinvent very quickly and create an income um, and and then we came up with the idea of the magazine your property network magazine to showcase how successful people in property were continuing to make money what they were doing the strategies they were using 
so I could learn from them and other people could as well. And the idea was, again, with recurring income streams, um, many, many years ago in a sort of almost previous life, I worked in recruitment and um, I had a sort of contracts desk. So I had whatever, 50 people working out working there and I got paid, the business got paid every month from their work. Whereas someone on the other side of that business worked in the sort of permanence desk and every every month they'd have to place new people in work and get a one-off payment. Um, and then they'd start again that month. And, you know, that seemed like really, really hard work. So I'd rather you know, keep sort of topping up the bucket a little bit, but getting paid forever. So that's a very long answer to that question. Apologies. No, no that's good. And and so, you know, I'd love to kind of know what those those first years were like setting up the magazine. And, you know, obviously 14 years ago, it, it was physical copies as, you know, not certainly not the digital revolution that we've seen since then. And, um, you know, was it always clear to you that, you know, subscriptions were going to be key um, you know, you obviously get a customer and, you know, you want to lock them in and you want them to be a lifetime customer there. Um, and, and how was that in the early days, building that up? And what kind of methods did you use to, to market yourself? Well, it was very, very difficult. Um, so we we launched the magazine as a free magazine um, because we wanted to get the readership out there. We wanted to get support of people who were in the property industry to get eyeballs on what they were doing. Um and you know we i i had spent a long time networking and we, you know as we all know you it's a cliche your network is your network but it really is true you know without any contacts you, you're going nowhere um so we launched it as a free magazine and then we had this sort of painful bit where we had to kind of turn people from free readers into paying readers which you know was not easy i probably wouldn't do that if i was starting again from scratch um although it did work, you know, we got a wide audience and then we kind of convinced them that, you know, this is a, a great product. It, it's only a few pounds a month. You may learn something that makes you or say to you 20, 30,000 pounds. So um, yeah, that, that was the job for, for a long time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure, as you said, uh, many of our listeners will be very familiar, will be readers and, you know, it's, uh, you know, industry standard now, um, publication. Um, so, you know, it, it's obviously been a, a wild ride and, and how have things evolved in terms of that business? And, uh, you know, just give us an idea of kind of where you're at in terms of size and, and volume now. Yeah. So we have around about 8,000 paying subscribers, um, that get the magazine each month. Um, the vast majority of whom um, get a hard copy of the magazine. Um, we kind of switched things around a little while ago to give people the option of a hard copy magazine plus digital access to the to the app, or to choose from just a, a slightly lower price point, just uh, just sort of digital access to the app. And um, overwhelmingly, ninety percent of our sort of new customers uh, opt for a hard copy magazine. They like a physical product. You know, sixty uh, percent of them, I think, actually access and read the material and watch the videos on the app. And the app doesn't have the same constraints as a, a physical magazine, so we can add, you know, more uh, multimedia content to it. But people like to buy a physical product, and I think that is um, interesting uh, because I had assumed that people would opt for purely digital, but uh, that's not been the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a there's a whole team behind the, the you know, the production of the magazine. Uh, oh, yeah. We, like we, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about them because they're amazing. You know, they, they really are We've got a very, very strong editorial team. So in the early days, in the first days, 
it was Mike and myself and um, uh, Heather, who was working with us then and still works with us now, um, uh, sat in a room and Mike was trying to figure out how to sell the magazine and I was trying to figure out how to write it um, and going out and interviewing people. And fortunately, now we've got an amazing editorial team um, that create brilliant content and they don't have the same spelling mistakes and grammatical errors that my uh, early early articles were absolutely littered with yeah yeah so you know congratulations obviously you know um, thousands of subscribers to that magazine every month so you know obviously a fantastic example there of, of recurring income um using a subscription model there um so that's obviously one strand of, of what you do and um yeah, you know that, that's the, let's call that my day job yeah, because that's <laughs> That's, you know, yeah. most of my focus, I would say, was on that side. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the wealth building seven pillars, you know, that sits firmly into obviously a business there. So that's pillar number five. Um, our other entrepreneurial pillars, Ant, are, um, you know, building a property portfolio to, to create recurring income, um, generating IP, which I guess, the you know, the magazine obviously sort of straddles between business and IP, certainly, you know, creating the app there as well. Um, and uh, and I know there's some more IP, which which we can come on to as well. Um, and then joint ventures as well is, is pillar number seven. So, you know, maybe if we're sort of going in order, looking at property and, and what you're doing in property yourself there. Okay, so um, it's almost worth sort of rewinding a little bit now to say sort of, because anything I did pre-credit crunch is completely, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't really count anymore. It's not possible anymore anyway. So, so when the credit crunch hit, I was sort of determined to continue building this portfolio of properties that made money each month and turning one deposit into multiple properties and um i know you're based in the in in the southeast aren't you christian so the numbers that i talked to are going to be kind of different uh so so back then sort of let's say 2010 probably i was buying flats for maybe fifty thousand pounds there or thereabouts stuff that sort of pre-credit crunch might have been worth 90 100 something like that and they haven't dropped by 50 percent. you know they, they dropped a lot but also there were problems with them you know all, all of the properties required at least a refurb and some of them had other issues with them um i could go into some of those so so one of them was a house that had been part converted into two flats and the guy who owned it had run out of money and had sort of poor health and all these issues and i was able to buy it with planning permission, finish the works, split the title, so to create two leasehold entities, thereby, and in addition to that sort of add, you know, adding value for the refurb and splitting the title, I could force the appreciation of the asset, refinance, get my money back out, end up with a property with maybe, you know, an individual flat might have 20, 30,000 pounds worth of equity in it, and it would make comfortably to maybe 300 pounds a month um as i say relatively passive income um back then i was kind of self-managing some properties i definitely don't do that anymore it's definitely not my strength um you know there are people who are much better at doing that than me so uh so that that was it you know and um then i did a few with my amazing friend chrissy who will probably be listening to this and then we kind of which we'll talk about in a minute, I guess, moved into some development side of things. But um, yeah, building the portfolio back then was um, a pretty risk averse. So, uh, you know, I was very sure on what these properties were going to be worth once 
sorted out once any complications had been sorted out and the works had been done. I got very close to what the build numbers build cost was going to be in terms of the refurb. Um, you know, put simply, I couldn't really afford to get it wrong at that point. So um, it was a good discipline to make sure that, you know, if I bought a flat for 50,000 then it was spending 10 or 12 on it, it was going to be worth 75, 80 at the time. And I could refinance and get back most of that money and go again. So that yeah. that was the um, that was the strategy. Okay, great. And 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 now in terms of the cash flow that is generated from the properties, you know, you talked about YPN magazine uh, being more the day job there, right? So that's kind of you know what you're enjoying day to day. You're being part of the team and, and making sure that's all running. How much time did the properties you know involve uh, for you now? And and you know we talk about passive income, but you know does it come close to that? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people, I think, you know, probably people who self-manage will put on property Facebook groups, it's anything but passive. It's definitely not passive. Well, I, I work with letting agents, some of whom are amazing, some of whom are not quite as brilliant. Um, but it probably takes me a couple of hours a month uh, on average to, to oversee that portfolio. And I'm going to be completely honest, and most of that is checking the bank statement to make sure the money's come in. Uh, sort of checking bank account, checking the rental statements, marry with that, filing those online, and then agreeing if I get an email through saying, oh, you know, you need an EPC done, do you want us to carry that out or whatever, just liaising with the, the, the agents. I mean, sometimes it's a bit more hands-on, but that's, that's, that's what we're aiming for. And by and large, that's what I have achieved with mine you know we had get the occasional hiccup i've got a, a property at the moment where first one ever first one in whatever it is 16 or 17 years i'm, I'm having to evict somebody which is you know not that pleasant i'm i'm not doing it the the, the agent's doing it um but uh but that's pretty rare yeah so so would you say really you're you know you're leveraging relationships there you're leveraging people i.e the letting agent to to, to take care of most of that for you yeah, absolutely. And it's a um it's a trade-off because, you know, I pay them to do that. Um, but uh, you know, they are better placed to do that job. They'll do a better job of it than I can do myself. My most of my properties are 120 well, 110 miles from where I live. Some of whom some of which I haven't been back to since the day the refurb was finished. Um, because that's not my job, that's their job. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely trying to leverage that. Yeah. Excellent. So that obviously gives you gives you more of your time back, um, which perhaps moves us into the third kind of area of uh, of interest for you, Ant, which is uh, the gyms. So could you tell us a bit more about what you're doing there? Yeah. So I um, uh, the, the the gym that I go to is owned by a really good friend of mine. It's a CrossFit gym. If anybody knows what that is, it's sort of functional fitness fairly sort of high intensity and a mixture of sort of gymnastics and strength and whatever. And, and I definitely don't go anywhere near as often as I should. Um, and so my friend that owns the gym that I was going to wanted to expand. He wanted to do another gym on a bigger scale in a, a sort of a better location. And um, he talked me through it and myself and Mike, Mike's my business partner in, in the magazine business and, and other stuff we do. Um, put in a chunk of money and we've got a couple of other our friends to invest in it as well and that was in november 2019 the doors opened on that um you know we'd spent three months and 
physically working in it. I definitely wasn't leveraging that. I was unpacking uh, rowing machines and bolting them together and, you know, that kind of thing. But that's fun. You know, that's, you know, that's the exciting bit as well. And so we opened in November 2019 and the plan was to kind of hit break even in around about April 2020 because we, we pre-sold a lot of memberships, which was great. And then March 2020 came around and coronavirus hit and then we were shut for pretty much a year which was not you know not an easy time at, at all so uh, um so yeah. let's, let's, and, and let's, now yeah i just want to kind of talk about that then because you know easy to talk about when things are going good not so easy to talk about when things go bad right and uh, obviously that came out of the blue um I guess there was still rental to be paid on 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 the premises, and you know, how how did you go about managing that situation? Yeah, so to be totally honest, you know, those kind of early days of lockdown were pretty scary from a business perspective. So, you know, with the magazine business, we go to fifty to sixty events a month to promote the magazine, and they all stopped. Um, the, the 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 doors to the gym were were shut, and as you say, we still had rent and uh, and and other bills to pay. So I think on the same day we were we had the situation where uh, they were sort of announcing that tenants may not need to pay the rent, and so you know at that point I was thinking, well, all three of my kind of pillars mm. of, of wealth and business are all I could see them all disappearing, and that was pretty scary, you know, I'll be honest with you. So um, as you say, it's easy to talk about when things are going good, but maybe we learn the most when things are going not so well. Yeah. So you managed to ride out that period and, and the gym opened and uh, kind of where, where are you, where are you placed now in terms of, you know, looking forwards and, and expanding things perhaps? Yeah. So the, the, we now have three gyms. So I kind of bought into the existing one that I used to go to. And then we opened the second one, which is in um, uh, sort of North Bristol. And then um, the, we opened the third one literally six weeks ago. So that one is very, very new um the i mean there are lots of crossfit gyms around you know and they're brilliant they're absolutely brilliant but they are run in the main by people who are amazing athletes and great at crossfit and not business people really so we were looking at it as an opportunity to say well we can do this but kind of improve the processes um get the right kind of management team in place to oversee it, make sure that all the accounts happen as they should happen. Um, and which is where Mike is amazing. Uh, you know, he's brilliant at that side of things. Um, and so the plan going forwards is, well, can we get to 10 or 20 of these? And then can that become a sort of passive income for me? Can I, um, from each individual gym and just be involved in the kind of management once or twice a week sort of consulting on it really so um we're a little way from that and we're just putting putting together some uh some ideas to sort of fund the expansion of the next kind of 10 or 15 gyms really yeah excellent so approximately how many members have you got across the three gyms at the moment and yeah so of course it's a really interesting one so you know people listening to this might go to um i don't know the big name gyms and they might have 3,000 members and the vast majority of those people just never go. Um, we have the opposite problem. So, uh, and I must say, actually, um, during the time that the gyms were closed, you know, the very dark days, really, in the lockdown, the community were amazing and the vast majority of people kept paying their um, 
membership fees because they knew that if they didn't, we we wouldn't be there at the end of it. And for most of those people, the gym is it's not just the gym, it's actually their entire social life. They, you know, they socialize together. It's a it's a genuine community. Um, and that's it's one of the things that from a business point of view is amazing because they're very, very loyal customers. So so a CrossFit gym might have three, two to three hundred members, and at that point it's at capacity because people go three or four times a week it's all class-based so people aren't coming in the day and kind of doing their own training you know 99 of them are coming in and joining a class so you have a capacity issue and most people want to train at the same time today so because of that it's a lot more expensive you know the kind of pure gym offerings out there might be 10 pounds a month or whatever they charge if you join hours and you want to come as often as you want to come and join do as many classes it's 90 pounds a month so it's a it's a very different offering. Yeah, so it's interesting looking at the different, uh, I guess, price points and margins there, and with the magazine lower price point, you know, much higher price point there for the gym on the membership model. But uh, you know, how how do you take into account the sort of the different margins? So so we really believe in value for money, okay, and that the customer, whatever the price point is, should have a really good experience. You know, they're not overpaying for anything. Um, so with the, with the magazine, it's probably a little bit more expensive than going and buying a magazine off the shelf in, in a shop, pro- probably. But then we think we deliver a lot more. Um, you know, it's it's genuine advice for people who are in property and want to move forward. So, for instance, my my um, tax accountant writes in the magazine, my planning consultant writes in the magazine, our solicitors write in the magazine. It's, it's genuine advice from the people that we use. And we think that has a really good value to it. And so for what works out at you know less than £100 a year, we think it's really good value. And it's a bit of a no-brainer for people to buy into. So, you know, that kind of ticks that box. And it's a volume business. You know, our um, although our print costs might go up, our you know, the, the fixed costs in the business don't change if we print another, if we have take on another thousand customers. Um, the uh, the gym side of things is is different. Um, you know, most people will come three or four times a week, probably. And so if we break it down, it probably works out at around about seven pounds per session that they attend, maybe six or seven pounds, which we think is really good value for money. They get... Um, they get genuine coaching. You know, you push pretty hard in it. You know, the, the coaches are not there to let you slack off. They, they want you to try harder um, and achieve more. And, and so we think it's, it, it's good value. And there are some economic um, elements of that as well. We kind of, because we're capped in terms of the numbers that we can cope with, we have to charge more for the business to make money because we have rent and rates and, um, you know, we have to pay the coaches and so forth. So, they, they have a that business has an overhead so we almost have to fix the price point at a, at a point where we know we can we can turn a profit at our capacity figure yeah no that's good and and so far we've talked about kind of recurring income uh businesses there with the magazine subscription model with property obviously uh you know a, a rental income every month coming in and then with the gym as a as a membership model and um, you touched on developments and so i'm interested to hear you know is there any recurring income element to the developments or is this more of a kind of capital strategy yeah so up, up to now it's been a sort of capital strategy of you know buy 
undertake the works and sell for a profit and you know uh you know put put the money in the bank or put it to good use and whatever you know uh, reinvest it um and i did this great deal of probably sort of three years ago i guess with my friend chrissy you know my partner in a lot of our property stuff and we bought a um it was four flats four really grotty one bed flats in in plymouth um i think we paid about two hundred and sixty thousand for the building and we spent roughly eighty thousand pounds turning them from four grotty one beds to four quite nicely presented two bed apartments by very simply taking what was the kitchen, turning that into a second bedroom and moving the kitchen into the lounge area to create a sort of lounge dining room, um, which we'd done on some individual flats before, but this was four at a time. And um, it went pretty smoothly. So from end to end, I think it was from the day we bought it to the day we sold the last flat was about nine months. And we made £97,000 profit between the two of us and it was relatively passive. You know, we were doing twice weekly meetings with the with the contractors, and uh, um, you know, a, a little bit more than that during some parts of it. But it was we were relatively hands off, and so that was great. And then we stepped up and did a. Um, so it was it was a listed building. If you can picture like a sort of Georgian terrace, it was two neighbouring buildings which were each sort of five stories, including the, the basement. Commercial, you know, commercial property, which wasn't really working anymore. Some of the tenants had moved out. It was a bit grotty. Um, they'd moved into sort of purpose-built, accommodate, purpose-built offices. So we, uh, let me think about this. So we um, mitigated the risk by exchanging subject to planning. So we, uh, you know, we weren't going to buy it unless we actually got the planning got the planning to turn it into 10 luxury apartments um, and then understood the works and the work, you know, the, the build work is it's a very, very different scale. It's very different moving up into that kind of project. You're working with, you know, architects and planning consultants and quantity surveyors on the other uh, uh, side of things who seem absolutely adamant that it's going to cost as much money as humanly possible. And so it's, it's really different. Um, so we did that one, and then at the, there was a bit of an overlap. Then we bought a, a care home, a, again, a grade two-listed um, former convalescent home, which we turned to, into 10 genuinely luxury apartments. So they were really, really probably some of the nicest on the market. Um, and that was about a year and a half build. So um, the bits I do like about that, let's talk about those. <laughs> um, so, you know, you take something and you have a vision for it, and, you know, you stand there and then a year and a half later, you're going, well, we did this, you know, not we physically doing the work, but we had a vision for it. We we, we crunched the numbers, we raised the money to do it. And um, for both of those projects, I used um crowdfunding platform, um, Crowd Property, which was interesting in itself. So over those two, I think we raised two million pounds in funds. So I did a presentation, kind of a bit like this, but talking about the property. And then I, over 24 hours, I watched the money come in. It was an amazing experience. And, um, you know, not something I would have ever imagined myself doing 10 years, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So I loved that. Um, and we had a great team and some of the other sort of investors that we bought into being it. So Billy and Simon, I don't know if they listen, if they listen to this, you know, it's great working with those guys. But, um, you know, it takes a long time. 
and there's a huge amount of uncertainty and this is you know i'm very pro property but um it's definitely going to cost more than you think and it's going to you know people are going to make mistakes along the way and you're going to have to pick up the tab for that so um, our architect made a, a couple of sort of minor errors in the sort of tendering process and so we've got the, the sort of tender quotes in and then when it came to the real build they said ah but you didn't include this and so there's another 30 40 thousand pounds which you know he's not going to pay for so it's mm-hmm. on us and you know structural works cost more than the provisional sums so although you've got a quote this is you know if you're going to learn anything about property development it would be although you've got a quote that is not the final number and the job is to kind of value engineer it as you go through to, to get as close to that as you can so um so i loved elements of it and i'm really proud of the buildings that we 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 did so um particularly the the, the convalescent home which when i show people a picture of it it looks a bit like some brighton pavilions outside with those copper domes and everything it, it, it looks amazing if anyone wants to google it it's called Pern uh convalescent home in plymouth you can see pictures of it and um i tell I, people in the southeast i said what, what do you think we paid for this and they said i don't know four million five and and, and the, the the real answer was five hundred and twenty five thousand for an eleven thousand uh, square foot listed building it cost a boatload to do the works on it and you know our profit margins you just kind of see them disappear through the project um we still made money which was great and it was an amazing experience but selling properties is not actually that much fun either um you know you you've got the uncertainty of whether or not the sale is going to go through you're selling them off plan um and people are sort of putting deposits down they haven't sold their family home because these were um sort of retirement property so people had a, a large family home to sort of downsize from and you know you don't know if that sale is going to happen or not um, i mean the, the sales process in the, here in the uk is ridiculous um uh, you know it's filled with uncertainty so many yeah. so many sales fall fall out of bed that it's um uh you know it, it's a real pain but yes. uh you know real swings and roundabouts on that working with an amazing team but i remember being in a meeting where um no i got 17 emails about the location of a loft hatch um in this building and my response was just honestly i just don't care where it goes presumably in the loft um <laughs> you know you it's, it's easy to get tied into the minutiae of that yeah yeah so you know interesting to diversify within the property pillar there um as as to what you're doing and um this the final pillar we've not touched on um with ip now, there's some other recurring income that you're now building through training. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, please, Ant? Yeah, so um, with, within the sort of magazine business, um, uh, you know, we're, I, I said earlier on, and we truly believe in sort of value for money and providing good, good content um, at, you know, not extortionate prices. So um, we run a couple of, of programs which are based around £100 a month figure uh, there are kind of six hours worth of trainings uh, uh, initially on a, on a kajabi platform that people receive and then they have a webinar every two weeks and um a closed facebook group of of people in there who can genuinely support them so one of which is based purely around service accommodation rented through airbnb so that program is called total sa total service accommodation and we have around about 100 people on that program and then we have a very similar one called Total Development, which is people who are kind of moving from 
maybe sort of stand the fight to let into small scale development and refurbishments and we bring guests on we have a sort of expert in each one but we bring guests on who talk through their projects um in depth and then we have kind of panel of people that can help them along their way so uh, you know, any questions can be asked within those groups so yeah and that is about leveraging the database without a doubt it's about kind of sort of sweating that asset to maximize the revenue from it but at the same time making that you've got i'm sure you've got a really really good product that people love um you know we we are definitely not in the business of wanting unhappy customers yeah i think just comes down to as you said earlier with all of those businesses it's it's delivering value isn't it if you're delivering great value people will will continue to uh you know be customers and and uh and work with you so um i'm interested and of all of those things going on right i mean what's driving you like where's the motivation you know when are you gonna stop and and, and what is all of this giving you i mean we talked about freedom at the beginning but just talk about you know why recurring income is is so helpful in terms of giving you the lifestyle that you want okay so um i w- one of the things that you know my wife and i kind of really aligned on is that you know holidays and time with the family is really really important to us so i've got 12 year old twins they just turned 12 now one of each boy and girl and um we try and take them away probably six or seven times a year and um we've just come back from skiing in in france and then i went out two days later and skied with some friends of mine in austria and we go again in april and you know that kind of family time and sort of family adventures is really important to me you know creating memories and having the time to do that so I, I think I, I work hard um, and I really genuinely care about the work that I do, but I don't want to be sat here in front of a, a PC or glued to a, a, a phone 18 hours a day. You know, I don't want to get to the end of all this and think, you know, I, you know, I wish I had more time with my family um, or, or whatever, you know, regret that time. So we try and work smart if we can and, you know, get as much done in, in the time as possible. So so for me, um, you know, I don't have the ambitions to take over the world. I definitely don't, you know, I'm not the I'm a workaholic, must be a billionaire. That's not me. Um, you know, creating a balance between enjoying the people, enjoying your work and, and perhaps most importantly, enjoying the people that, you know, spending time with the people that you work with. We have an amazing team. I mentioned our editorial team in the magazine, but we've got loads more than that. We've, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole team of people that do a brilliant job and they are fantastic. Um, and the same in the other businesses as well. So enjoying that time and then having the family time, but also, and this, I think most people don't get, it's a bit of me time as well. So I said that I went, skiing with some friends of mine and it's a really sunny day as we're recording this and in 40 minutes time I'm, I'm gonna say you know what I'll finish it you know midday today on a Friday and I'm going mountain biking with a friend of mine so being outdoors and you know spending time with you know friends as well um, is a really important element and I think it's something that we sort of overlook I know some people are in this for the Lamborghinis and the kind of you know whatever the designer clothes and stuff None of that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. It might do to other people, but actually kind of, you know, having a nice place to live and, you know, good friends and having time to enjoy those things is is probably the most important thing. 
Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. So, uh, and thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. If uh, if people want to find out uh, more about the the total programs you mentioned, or they want to um, check out the YPM magazine, um, can you give us some more information about that? Yeah, it's dead easy. I won't do a hard sell or anything like that now, but they can just go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk. All the details of the sort of magazine and the digital subscription are on there. You do get, if, if it's something you're interested in, you do get your, your first month completely free of charge. If you like it, it's, um, you know, uh, the cost of like a couple of cups of coffee a month thereafter with no contracts. So anyone is free to cancel at any time. We, we, we want to make it a real no-brainer for, for people. Um, so it's yourpropertynetwork.co.uk and, and details of the sort of total products and, and, and all, all of that are on there as well. Brilliant. And thanks so much. Take care. Okay, entrepreneurial ant there. Um, you know, seems like it came very naturally to uh, to him. Kevin talked about the catalyst, really, which we know for a lot of people working for somebody else, time for money uh, in employment. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all. But for so many people, that's not wealth building strategy, and they want to, you know, take that knowledge, take that experience, take those kind of contacts, connections, and uh, you know, do something that's more rewarding uh, with their time. And that's kind of the path that Ant took at the beginning as well. I think he saw that when he worked for others, didn't he? And decided, just as you did, Chris, when you created that sort of pathway for employed people to cross over the divide, cross over the Rubicon from working for somebody trading time for money to trying to create a pathway to be able to build wealth for yourself on your own terms with Escape the Rat Race and and to escape the rat race by following a property journey because he saw other people doing the same thing. And it was very clear he's got a great business partner in Mike, who's the unsung hero here, but uh, I'm sure his pride of place in in the hearts and minds of all the people at uh, YPN magazine. And you can see that that relationship with Mike has continued on into other ventures. So, you know, that's a JV, isn't it? And that's a business. And obviously YPN is very focused on property. And uh, as a business, I think it's not, although he's moved into training now and you saw that at the end there when he talked about sort of total SA and, other things that he's doing as far as training is concerned, which is kind of IP, but I particularly want to focus, if I can, Chris, in the lesson and the debrief here on the fact that when we look at business owners, and we've said this many times, we want to look at what's the niche, does the business work without them, and does it have a strong recurring income? And to talk about the recurring income, I mean, what was it, 8,000 subscribers? Is that what he said? All right, so if you've got 8,000 subscribers and you've got no limit to those subscriptions, it's all about marketing, isn't it? Because the print cost doesn't dramatically go up. So it's really about the marketing and technology he's levered to do even better with the app. But interesting for me when he said people want to get their hands on something. They want to feel the opening in the cellophane and the flicking of the magazine, presumably when they're having a coffee, having a tea, having a break, uh, just flicking through and seeing that inspiration. I get YPN myself, Chris, and I prefer it uh, to read it. I prefer to flick through it in my own way, the sort of tangible nature of that, than I do the app. 
So just an interesting one. But going back to the the ways to create recurring income, well, we know there are ways to create a product that's recurring and a service that's recurring. And we've heard me talk many times about that. But I think what he's done is created an example of a gateway, which is to showcase others. So he's not doing the work. He wasn't doing the property work. The magazine was showcasing other people. And that's a gateway in the same way as we've described. Martin Lewis is a gateway to all things saving money. Uh, We're creating that path to a gateway. In the end, I think we'll end up in that direction for all things wealth. And this is all things property. And I think they've done an outstanding job and the marketing market leader when it comes to showcasing property people, which gives people very low cost, but easy inspiration from what seems to be a great team of people around him as well. So, and hats off to him. He mentioned many times the importance of the relationship. You know, we all talk about freedom and he spent a lot of time talking about freedom of time, you know, that time for his family to go have adventures and have memories and those sorts of things. And it's just a wonderful language he used. But I could tell, although he didn't make the specific point about freedom of relationship to choose who you surround yourself with, who you want to be with on a day-to-day basis. But it came to through to me as a subliminal message, Chris, that he's so passionate about the team and his relationship with Mike um, that, it, that it, to me it spoke volumes of a, a business that's enjoyable to be in as opposed to a real challenge to be in. Yeah. And we're talking about recurring income from business and obviously recurring income from property uh, that Ant's generating. But for anyone who's new to the Wealth Talk podcast, maybe this is even your first episode of listening, then uh, probably a good reminder that there are seven pillars of wealth. And uh, those seven pillars are, you know, assets that you can use to generate income. And, um, Episode seven, Kevin, is when we first introduced this. So uh, if this is episode 147, then 140 episodes ago. Can you believe it? Do you know, <laughs> we, we take the pillars for granted so so much now. And I suppose, just like you can recite them, I can recite them. They're part of our DNA. And it's great that our members can too. But, but it's interesting. And if you've been listening for a while, just take a moment in the same way as I know people have read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I'll often say to people, is that a good book? And they say, yeah. And I say, can you tell me what the seven habits are? They can't. You know, so listening to something without taking action isn't necessarily knowing. Knowing without doing is not knowing. So we want you to think about and know the pillars, uh, know what they are. So if you don't know what they are, rather than explain them again, Chris, Go listen to episode seven and uh, try and find out what they are. And then once you can understand what they are, try and be curious. Have a look around you. See what's going on with what are people doing in their homes to create value. What are, I'm giving them away now, Chris. What, what, I can't resist, can I? What are they doing with pensions? What are you seeing in the world of pensions that's not good and how could you improve that? What are you seeing people doing to invest money to create a recurring income? What are they doing in property? And you heard Anne talk about various property strategies, but what do you see out there that people are doing? We had so many episodes between 7 and 147 where people are talking about their unique take 
on what they're doing in property and business and other assets. What are they doing in business? What are the ways they're creating recurring income in business? Who's creating intellectual property and, and creating value from the knowledge they built up and then they package and repurpose and create into books and courses and materials? And finally, excuse me, what are they doing to collaborate in joint ventures where they're bringing something, somebody else is bringing something, and the combination of those two things coming together is more synergy, more leverage, more power. And that's what wealth building is all about. And what's interesting in this discussion we had with Ant, another good interview uh, as well by you, Chris, is he had a troubled journey. Do you remember? It's an all, well, there's an old sweetness and light and roses. He did say at what point all of the different ways he was building wealth were kind of being affected in one way. You know, so the COVID restrictions were affecting the gym, they were affecting the magazine, they were affecting property. He had this worry, didn't he, about people paying their way. Now, none of these pains necessarily all transpired to create a problem, but it's important as you're building your wealth, as you build them and see them, think also about taking stock of the risk. You do not want all the risks to work in the same direction. Now, look, a pandemic once in a century. So you can forgive people for not thinking about that risk. But now we've had that risk. Think about the risks. Think about a word, Chris. We've mentioned many, many times that when you're building wealth, you need to build a new vocabulary. You need to build a new word. I'm going to give you a new word, Chris. It's a word you've heard before, but I'm going to talk about the word correlation, so correlation is when things move in the same direction. So counter-correlation is when things move in opposite directions. So if it's a sunny day, you sell ice cream. You don't sell many umbrellas. If it's pouring down with rain, you're going to sell brollies. There's a counter-correlation. I know that's a frivolous thing, but let's think about where counter-correlation works is having your assets that if the stock market crashes, your property portfolio doesn't. Your IP doesn't. You've got things working in different directions. So whatever the economic wind that blows upon us, we might be irritated. We may, may be mildly shot off course, but we're not devastated and derailed forever when something happens that we haven't predicted. So think about those risks. Think about the risk of a single supplier. Think about the risk, <clears throat> excuse me, of a single member of your team. Think about the risk of a single source of income and try and build multiple ways, multiple streams in multiple directions so that whatever happens, you're a financially bulletproof person. And that's what we want. And that's what gives you true freedom because you're not worried about something that will ruin that freedom forever. Yeah. Absolutely. The beauty of the Wealth Builders model there of the seven pillars is that ability to diversify, as you say there, Kevin. And um, we talk about, well, in fact, one of the key elements of our wealth building process and uh, certainly at the heart of the academy where we help our members to move from financial insecurity to financial security and then on to financial independence. And the way that they generate that recurring income is by turning the wheel of wealth. And again, we've covered that in previous episodes. Um, but turning the wheel either generates capital or cash flow. 
Now, we're talking about recurring income, so we know that both of those types are good, but it's the assets that have the ability to generate predictable cash flow that we really want to focus on. We definitely want to focus on those, but of course it's important to recognize that sometimes the opportunity comes along to create a capital flow. And if you can get a capital flow, it may not be predictable. You might do you know, one thing once like a flip on a property, for example. But if you can do that, you can then plant the seeds from the capital flow to build more wealth, or you can shore up something. So if something is not as effective as you'd like it to be, you can, you can put a safety net under it. So there are definitely reasons to be uh, curious about any opportunity you see, can that create cash flow? Cash flow, definitely the most important thing in my view. Focus on that. But if there's an opportunity to create capital, then that's a good thing too. Yeah. So um, another great example there today from Ant of uh, how to create more freedom in your life. He talked about heading off to go mountain biking, but you know that's what recurring income allows you to do. And uh, it's not easy. We know that uh, starting a business isn't easy, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a way to follow a path. And certainly if you've got the, uh, the right direction, the right team around you, then uh, it's absolutely possible. And with, with more than 750,000 new business being set up every year, Chris, ridiculously large numbers of people deciding to set off on that venture, leave the shore and set themselves up in business. But so few actually create a recurring income business and uh, something they don't predict blows them off course and often kills the business forever. So really important that you think that through. And if you're looking to be wealthy, looking to become an entrepreneur and every form of wealth building means you have to think entrepreneurially, then just think about trying to create a business with recurring income in a niche that it can work without you. And then you won't be blown off course and you've got the opportunity to make that a wealth building business. Uh, So you can walk away wealthy not walk away weary from the process of just being blown off course. Yeah. And of course, if you've got an idea, but you just don't really know where to start, you're looking for some structure and you'd like some help, then why not head over to uh, our Wealth Builders page where we talk about the process that we teach inside the academy. So wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash academy, go and have a look, see if that's something you think could be helpful for you and uh, work with a myself with Kevin, our team of coaches, and obviously all of our other members who are following our recurring revenue roadmap and uh, moving closer every day towards financial independence. There you go. So that was a good episode, Chris. I enjoyed that. And thanks for pulling out those lessons from from Ant. And um, I'm sure there are many more lessons from other people who've uh, gone through their own wealth building journey that we're going to be sharing in due course. We will indeed. Okay. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to go and leave us a review if you've enjoyed this and share, share this episode as well with a friend. Uh, that would be great. Kevin, we'll catch up same time, same place next week. We will indeed, sir. And until then, my friend, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.